No lizards. No aliens. No nonsense. This is Reality Bites in association with Sovereign Independent UK and One World Chronicle. Reality Bites on the 24th of November 2014. And if there's anybody here who tried to go on to realitybites.com, unfortunately that site was uh, taken down uh, somehow. Uh, four minutes before we went there, uh, and when it's been running fine for over a week with no problems whatsoever. Uh, there you go. Um, we'll have two guests tonight, as uh, many of you will already know. I've got Thomas Sheridan, who I've spoken to many times before, and Alan Watt, uh, similarly spoke to many times before on a, a variety of subjects, uh, as with Thomas. Uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to get both of them on tonight to basically have a chat amongst themselves. I'm just going to sit back in the, in, the, in the wilderness, as it were, and take a few notes, and if I think of anything to ask, then I'll... Uh, I'll come back and ask, but uh, Thomas, you there? Yes, I am indeed. Yep. Alan, you, you hearing okay? Yes, I can, yep. yep. Okay, uh, Thomas put uh, a couple of four subjects forward. Uh, one was the, the Fabians, and the other one was the, the whole um, distraction, if you like, or for want of a better word, uh, the, the alien agenda type of thing. Um, we're going to start on the Fabians, so Thomas, if, if you want to start off, and uh, I'll leave you to it. Well, my interest in the Fabians was rekindled while I was researching for my last book on the history of the occult in Germany in terms of how the occult was being used in social control. And H.G. Wells in particular, his how the Fabians were not just they were not just a political organization. They were very much a social engineering and cultural operation as well. And I was very struck by how in particular H.G. Wells was using science fiction to almost future-proof the world going forward. He had the likes of Things to Come, which is basically showing the world of today in terms of when it gets to the point where you have this group called Wings Over the World, which is referred to as a Freemasonry of the air, and they drop this thing called the Gas of Peace on rogue nations who who do not agree with the, you know, the Wings Over the World you know, format of how of how global society should be concentrated towards this kind of scientific global lab rat kind of mindset where human beings are essentially just cogs in a in an enormous kind of socialist machine towards a scientific end, purely a scientific materialistic end. And I never really realized how deep this ran until I read an autobiography of H.G. Wells, who was a particularly appalling human being in many ways. He was a ferocious bigot. He basically couldn't stand anyone who wasn't at least, you know, lower lower upper class, public school educated and Presbyterian. There was no there was no place for anyone in the world that did not conform to his sort of respectable notions of society. And while I was researching for the book, I came across a quote by H.G. Wells where someone had accused him of being basically national, a national socialist in terms of his philosophy, in terms of his ideas. And H.G. Wells replied by saying that he was a combination of basically Hitler and Stalin. And if he was a dictator, he would be very, very cruel. And we were brought into ideas of how he wanted to... I mean, incredible ideas, like he wanted people to all wear standard uniforms, 
people would not be allowed to own boats because if they did, they would try to escape to islands off the coast where they would try and live outside this socialist utopia that the, the Fabians had envisioned. But more than anything else, it was the idea of culture, of building these these kind of pathological mythologies in the idea, in the heads of human beings which were to future-proof the Fabian ideas going forward. And this was not a new thing, actually, with H.G. Wells. It had happened before him in Germany. But in terms of the Fabians, it again, they've shown up with the emergence of this Russell Brand character who's come out very closely connected to the New Statesman magazine. Again, part of this same cultural creation, the idea that people in terms of popular culture, not just science fiction, not just pop music, not just TV, everything really, even down to sport, are fundamentally aligned with the Fabian trajectory of social engineering because this is we're basically living in a, a gigantic laboratory. We're the rats and the Fabians are the, shall we say, the, the researchers thinking, tinkering with our uh, consciousness. Yeah, there's that. There's no doubt about it. There was definitely a, a much, much bigger plan. Uh, even today, they're very quiet about uh, uh, all the other forces involved in this organization. You find that, uh, for instance, the, the Milner Group, the Alfred Milner Group, that eventually formed, along with the Cecil Rhodes Society, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, that literally drafted up the, the European draft for amalgamation and for the Americas, too, with the CFR, which is their branch as well. Uh, they were involved heavily in the Fabian Society, and many, many of their members were crossovers between the two, in fact. They had to get the working class on their side by telling them uh, that uh, they would be their champions. It was a form, they would use a form of Marxism initially uh, and to, for rights, etc., better conditions. No one complained about that back then. It was awful. And um, they fooled the working class. They needed an army behind them to, to bring all of this in. But when you look at the big players who were involved, uh, where they really wanted to take the people, eventually it was very close to communism. And even in the early days of uh, Lenin, uh, right through to, to in fact, to, to, to later dictators in the Soviet Union, uh, they boasted in the Fabian society they had a direct line uh, to, to, uh, to, to Moscow. And that is a fact. They, they did definitely have a direct line. It was a working. Their idea was to bring it this, this form of elite management of a whole society and then eventually a world, uh, a scientific elite uh, management, uh, starting with Britain and then the em empire, they would use the empire and eventually eradicate uh, a lot of the initial domestic races that existed thereby, massive immigration and, and, and so on. They came up with the idea of free trade too and free movement of labor across borders way back in the 1800s. And then when you look at who backed the Fabian Society financially, uh, a lot of uh, the money came from Lord Astor, and he was an American uh, uh, businessman, and he and his wife moved to Britain, and they became Viscount and then Lord, and they, they had, back then, their, their, their money was estimated in today's term in the multi-billions of, of pounds, actually. So uh, big, big money was backing this group. Uh, and they need the, the working class army to think that, that it was actually their movement. And in reality, it was a specialist scientific elite at the top that was going to run the general population from birth to death uh, and train them from birth to death 
to, to uh, serve the system, basically happily serve the system. So, so that's quite true. There's much more involved in the Fabians than meets the eye until you really go into the, the deep uh, um, m- m- memberships that crossed over into the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Yeah. Well, of course, the, the Astor family are still involved in in the system today with uh, David Cameron. Oh, so, so are the Benz, by the way. You know, in Britain, you have the, the Wedgwood family. That were, uh, they were the champions, too, of Darwin. In fact, they were intermarried completely with Darwin. His mum was, was a Wedgwood. And they, they, they became the, the Wedgwood Benz. And you had Anthony Wedgwood Ben. Now you've got uh, a daughter, I think, and, and maybe a son in as well. Who, who've reclaimed their title because they also have titles. Uh, the Tony Ben uh, put to the side for a while because he had to get the Labour Party behind him. Uh, but now he's, the, the son's reclaimed the, the title, the hereditary title. So these are these are big, important, wealthy families running the Labour Party today. And of course, the Fabian Society is still alive and well behind the scenes as a big, big think tank that works with uh, the global establishment, United Nations, and so on to bring in the scientifically controlled society, yeah. If you even look at the, the, uh, the family tree of the, the Wedgwoods, the Huxleys and the Darwins, it really is yeah. basically the, the farm of today's, you know, bureaucratic yeah. administrative elite, you know, the ones, yeah. the next level down from royalty. And If you look at uh, Julian Huxley, uh, who was in UNESCO, uh, he wrote copiously, in fact, about and really detailed about their big world agenda. And he did say there are different groups. That there's a financial elite, he said, at the top, the dominant minority. And then you have another dominant minority that are employed by uh, the financial elites. And that is the scientific elite. And he said, I and my family... Uh, are part of the the scientific elite. They also include the social sciences and psychology and so on. So it's all combined, and that's how we're managed today, basically. And below that, you have entertainment and education, everything else that dogments it all. Yeah. They were also turning culture on its head. You had, or in, well, using culture to turn history on its head. In Huxley's book of the. The Devils of Ludon about the uh, basically a witch trial, a witch burning trial that happened in France during the Reformation. He totally turned around the the central character in this this episode. When you read the actual real history, this guy, this this this, this priest at Ludon, Ludon was a was absolutely psychopathic. He was a scant disregard for women. He was causing tremendous problems between the Catholics and Protestants, the Huguenots at the time, in the, in the, in the town, which was a, a, a basically a powder keg. He knew he had protection of the, the French monarchy. Now, when Huxley, Aldous Huxley wrote this book on him, he completely twisted it around to portray this, this sort of womanizing, psychopathic priest as a kind of a Jim Morrison, free spirit, free love, liberal ahead of his time, who was burned for being, uh, you know, basically a 60s hippie type character living during the Reformation. And in reality, it was nothing like that. He also portrayed the nuns at the convent, the... Uh, the sisters who were involved in accusing him of witchcraft as being hysterical females, but completely kind of left out the fact that they had basically been mind-controlled and destroyed. So what we're having also with these Fabians and these, these well, also not just the Fabians, but also that generally connected circle is this idea of also taking history and rewriting it 
again, future-proofing historical characters. Yeah, that's still going on. It's, it's going on all the time. Yeah, constantly, uh, history's always being rewritten. Uh, some of it, actually, most history today is actually pre-written. Like 9-11, uh, the whole agenda, down to screaming out it was Ben Laden on the first day it happened before the dust settled, it was all pre-written, and every authorised historian knows that they have to go by the official story that was all laid out at the very beginning. Uh, that's how, how, how precise it is today, and no one can contradict it, or you're a conspiracy nut or something like that. So... Um, that's how things really are. And, and again, the Fabian connection uh, with uh, the Cecil Rhodes group. And Cecil Rhodes, remember, wanted a, a world society run along the British lines, the, the, the elite British lines, uh, and they would use the empire to, to do it and join, join one up again through trade pacts and treaties with the United States. Uh, and they would form this, this world empire type of deal and bring commerce across the world, but it would always be held in the hands of the few and big corporations at the top. Uh, they've achieved every goal pretty well that they laid out back in the 1800s. Yeah. And if you look at uh, the Labour Party, its connection to the London School of Economics, which was founded essentially by the Fabians through George Bernard Shaw, you can almost, you can barely find a Labour, a senior Labour cabinet minister well during government, either a chancellor or the prime minister himself, who does not have a direct connection in some way to the London School of Economics. Yeah, and Sidney Webb, again, was, was, was fundamental in setting that up. I mean, the Webb family, the, the Sidney and Beatrice, and they were part of the Potter family too, like Beatrice Potter. They laid out the, the foundations for what they call women's lib. They, they, would, they would use uh, elite families, uh, their daughters, to, to promote it initially so that the rest would follow down below all the lower classes. Uh, but the intention really, again, was to, to create armies of people who would obey this new, what they called the new governmental system. Uh, the whole thing was militarized. It was all armies, 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 and the separation of the genders and so on. And, and that, again, is where you know uh, later authors got their ideas. Like in 1984, you'd have the women who, who were the, 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 the dedicated virgins sort of thing uh, serving the system. Uh, this was all laid out back in the 1800s, for those who don't understand that. Uh, and these guys, I mean, at the top, at the very top, you have the war-making machine uh, working again and are owned and run and operated by the financial elite of Britain in those days. And that was an incredible amount of money, uh, money that they had in those days because they owned a, a world empire. They could loot countries' resources like crazy, and they were doing it. And so you had the, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation Society, along with Lord Rothschild, because the two of them created it together. And uh, they were to take over the world's resources, gold, silver, eventually went into oil later on, things like that. But they also had the war-making machinery involved in them too. They had an arm and a branch for every, every facet of this future society that they, they hoped to bring in. And um, you can go back into Cecil Rhodes' uh, education. He was educated by Dean Rusk at Oxford University. And uh, Dean Rusk came up with the idea of the British Empire rule, which definitely would, would merge back with the U.S. down the road. Again, be part of this whole world empire system. They'd bring in other countries, and the latter countries, the countries they would bring in would be China and the Far East and so on. Well, that's exactly where it's all been going all along. So um, the, the American branch had to be called the Council on Foreign Relations because Royal wouldn't suit them very well, Royal Institute of International Affairs. 
and for the labour uh, people, uh, there would be a, the big army uh, of workers uh, on, along a Marxist-type system, and also the soldiers uh, from the same groupings. Uh, they they would uh, they would be trained by the Fabian-type indoctrinations that they had. They also were into the eradication of all the old religions, but they also brought in the New Age religion back then uh, from the from the middle from the, from Hinduism actually. Uh, Annie Besant, one of the members of the Fabian Society's founding members, um, she was she was a, she was one of the Theosophists. She was a Blavatsky. Uh, she took over from Blavatsky, Madame Blavatsky, and uh, she really was to bring in this new new thought because really. Hinduism, when you bring it to the West, is a form, as a definite form of mind control, uh, where nothing is real unless you have a, a master or a guru who tells you what is real, even if the, the thing they're telling you is real is not real at all. You will believe them. It's a new thought, a new way of conditioning people into a, a, into a belief system. Um, which has nothing to do with any actual reality. Uh, so that's all mixed up together. They didn't miss anything, in fact. And, and Besant uh, said, Annie Besant uh, said herself, she would literally end marriage amongst men and women. Everyone would eventually serve the state, and the state would finance women to have children. And culturally, a lot of that, this was catalyzed but in the 1960s and the, the whole swinging London Carnaby Street, you know. It started before, actually. They tried it in the 1920s uh, with the jazz and with the, the speakeasies or, or, or booze cans, you know. Uh, and, and that's why these, the same groupings used the religious uh, movements to bring in prohibition uh, as in the States, for instance. And that, before that, very, very few young people actually got, went out to get drunk. Uh, and so it made it a very, you know, a sinful thing to go to. So it was great. You know, anything that was bad, you'd go and do. And they brought in uh, the jazz, they brought in coke at the same time in the 1920s, for those who don't know that. And so they got high and so on. But the problem was they didn't have the pill, any kind of contraception. Uh, and same happened in Britain with it too. And so uh, suddenly you had all these orphanages springing up to take care of the children that were unwanted. And so uh, it's kind of fell apart from there. They brought in the miniskirt then too, the Charleston dance, etc. Uh, so they went back to the drawing board and right up to the 1960s, they took the tax money off the public uh, to, to create some kind of contraception. And when the 60s came out, they had the pill ready and they, they just simply regurgitated the same agenda again. And it took off from there, yeah. Mm-hmm. The backstreet abortion. A flourish yeah. during that early 20th period, 20s period because they didn't have the, the pill, as you said. And also, people like Frank Sinatra's mother, was a, she was an abortionist who worked in, you know, around the jazz scene in Hoboken, New Jersey. And that was, a, that was a, a way, that was actually, there was so much demand, there was so much, you know, pregnancy at that time because of this sort of like, you know, proto-60s mindset that yeah. the, 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 that was the only industry that literally flourished in poor and immigrant neighborhoods. In fact, Armin Hammer's father was an abortionist too, you know, Armin Hammer. His father was an abortionist and a quack chemist who was, you know, put in prison a few times for uh, doing abortions and so on and killing folk with his quack cures. And Armin Hammer, uh, again, a big member of the Marxist organizations. In fact, he had a, an apartment set up next to Lenin and then Stalin eventually. 
um, Armin Tamer, the son, uh, he, he, uh, he promoted all of the, these same agendas throughout the West to destroy the old system, to bring in this new system of total scientific control. Remember, that's really what the Soviet system was about, too. It was scientific control of the masses, as I say. In fact, Annie Besant also coined the term, uh, along with uh, Beatrice uh, Webb, uh, they called it the collective. That's so you're called the collective. Everybody who's not one of the elite is a collective. Yeah. That part yeah. Of one of those... Sorry, thing. sorry Thomas. Sorry, just, a, just a quick word. Uh, you mentioned the uh, sexual revolution back in the 20s, Alan. I think there's a that documentary. Yeah. Is it Sin Cities? Yes, right. Yeah, yeah I think it's what, Shanghai, London, and, and Berlin, was it? That, that's right. The, the Sin City, and they had Paris, yeah. And um, it's an excellent documentary. It's called Sin Cities. And it's, a, and it's amazing because I think Canada were the ones who promoted it all. And the, everybody who comes on, these social critics that come on, glorify, glor, absolutely glorify and drool because it's politic, politically correct to, to, to glorify this kind of stuff uh, of the degradation of the whole people of these cities. Uh, where they, they created massive de- uh, financial depressions, women were flooding in there, uh, dirt poor, they were put on stage in Berlin, for instance, start naked, and at the end of the night, these massive halls, these rich folk would all have sex with them, like massive, massive orgies. Uh, they, they even had women who were in all stages of pregnancy to, so that guys could have sex with them in, in the different stages of pregnancy, depending on what, what fetish you were into. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely disgusting, and they flooded those cities with drugs too. Uh, absolute hell, and they call this a great liberal uh, liberalization of society. Um, uh, absolutely disgusting. And then they had it in Shanghai as well. And you'll find uh, um, the big, big, uh, even the cosmetic <laughs> heads of the day built uh, great, great, massive casinos and brothels all over Shanghai at the time too. And the white Russians were driven out of the Soviet, their Soviet Union, ended up prostituting themselves there because they were dirt poor as well. Uh, it's just disgusting how it's glorified the total degradation of humanity. And it was all to get people used to the idea that human beings were nothing really, that we were another animal. Uh, excess population or unwanted children could just be killed on the spot even after birth. Um, and of course, they went back to the drawing board after that when it didn't catch on too quickly in America and the States and gave us lots of indoctrination until folk think nothing about it today. It's just, uh, I've actually heard women talking about it and they'll say it's like getting a wart removed. Uh, that's how life is valued today. Yeah. yeah, you had the likes of Gloria Steinem with her, uh, I, I, I had an abortion t-shirt. And then she campaigns against, you know, having animals shot. But it's no problem, you know, you know, killing humans. Yeah, that's right. And Steinem, too, it came out, and it's all, it's all public, open record. This is not conspiracy stuff. I never talk about this conspiracy stuff. I, I talk about documented stuff from, the, from the, same, the sources that do it all. And Steinem did work for the CIA. They set up her magazine uh, and financed it all along. And uh, you understand your CIA and your MI6 and MI5 and so on are not working for you. They're all part of this one big system again, including the Fabian Society and all the other think tanks they have working on managing a massive world population. And believe you me, they have no favorites in a country that they're based in. You're all the same peasantry as the peasants of China to them. Well, well she began by spying on her fellow students 
uh, liberal students. She was spying on them because they were liberals. What she was basically, I'm being paid by the CIA to do it. That's the, you know the quality of character she has. And then yeah. she turns tables completely. Yeah, and then she becomes one of these so-called liberals herself, going from the cons- you know the ultra-conservative like old-fashioned blue blood, blood style mm-hmm. to the new new liberal. Like a typical psychopathic switch means nothing. It's just like taking a, a CD out of one machine and putting it in the other. Absolutely no principles or any kind of uh, conviction. Just tell me what I believe this week and who I'm working for. That's right, and that's the same thing too with some recent prime ministers of Britain. They were spied on their fellow uh, students and even ran for the Labour Party and won. So uh, it's the same old thing over and over again, yeah. How they can switch parties, you know, crossing the floor. Voting Winston against Churchill did that all the time. He did that all the time, yeah. He was actually, that's, that was based, he was, he was the definition of a political animal in that sense, in that yeah. it's his own political survival, even to the the deaths of hundreds of whether hundreds of millions of people have took it from the Dardanelles when he sacrificed five thousand British seamen to get new warships to the Ottoman mines yeah. and guns, all the way to he you know goading the United States to nuke Russia in the nineteen fifties. Purely his own political survival that had been you know inbred into him since his you know his childhood in Blenheim Palace. It never left him. He was a pure political psychopathic machine. Oh, yeah, right down to, to handing over Poland and a few other countries after World War II, signed in the Malta, the, the, the Yalta Agreement uh, during the war with Stalin, that, that the Russians would get those countries. I mean, it, this row of whole country, this, yeah, you have these, these people, these millions of, you just take them, you know, do with them as you wish. And, and the concentration camps in South Africa, you know, while he was pontificating in the 50s about the horrors of the the Nazis, yeah. and then later the, the gulags in, in the Soviet Union. Here was the guy who basically invented the idea of mass concentration camps of women and children in order not only to, you know, to attack these communities, but also to basically, you know, dishearten the, the, the enemy troops, you know, who knew that their wives and kids were starving in, in, in a labor camp. This was invented That's by George. That's right. There's the Boer War, sure. Remember, too, though, he also belonged, to, again, to this one organization that eventually was called the Royal Institute for International Affairs and uh, Alfred Milner Group. But even Churchill, this is how elite this club is, this organization, uh, even Churchill during World War II uh, wasn't completely in the loop because there's an inner circle and an outer circle, and that's where well, that's where um, uh, you, you find that 1984 has it in it too, the inner party, the outer party, and Winston Churchill was outside the loop. And when he found out, he blew up and talked about it in Parliament in a speech. Uh, he said it's amazing. He says that a, that, a, that a group of very, very rich and old families have been manipulating us through about four or five different wars, he says, and he was only angry because he wasn't completely in on the whole picture at the time. After that, they had to bring him in completely. So um, the front men are often used, the little egotists, and, and they, they certainly benefit financially themselves with all their deals, like Tony Blair. But uh, they're not necessarily in the upper, upper inner party. Uh, the inner party that Milner set up was very secretive. Uh, in fact, he said in his own writings, uh, and this is Carl Quigley talked about it because he was their, he was their historian for a long time uh, later on. But he said that uh, they based it on the Jesuit technique, uh, which is awfully interesting technique of going into 
places, uh, pretending you're, you're one of the, the people, getting gradually to know them, never argue with them, no matter about their political views, and then gradually subvert from within. Uh, so uh, they've done this across the world. They've fomented revolutions in countries. Uh, they're still at it today. It's one of the biggest, or if I, it is the biggest organization for power in the world, is the Royal Institute for International Affairs today, and it comes from foreign relations. Every top newspaper man in Britain, uh, every editor in the States as well, uh, is a, must be a member of it to succeed. Or you will not. You can simply close ranks and believe you me, even your paper supply will get cut off if they don't want you up there. Incredible power. And Reuters is part of them too, owned by the Rothschilds. So they, they control the news of the world, the entire planet. Uh, this is how it really is. This infatuation they have with the Jesuits has always been very interesting to me, especially, you know, as these people claim to be atheists and, you know, totally against religion, and yet they have people like Peter Sutherland, who's basically the head of everything, the former Goldman Sachs chairman, head of the World Bank. This guy was uh, educated in a very exclusive Dublin Jesuit college where they teach the students how to manipulate and and, and control situations through complex games of chess mm-hmm. the, the Jesuit power structure is enormous in this world and yet we hear about everything else and, or there's an assumption that somehow the Jesuits are purely you know they're purely you know associated with religion theology administrative things within the Vatican or they are uh, they're, they're a historical entity but mm-hmm. even if they're not overtly religious it's, it's when you start looking at these how many of these people who are actually in the in the in many of the top power structures a lot of them have jesuit uh, schooling oh even even stalin had jesuit schooling yeah, yeah. so so uh, yeah i mean there's no doubt about it i mean the, the educational system is far superior than anyone else's uh, because they certainly have it down to incredible, well, good arts and how to how to indoctrinate children, but also give them an education which they, they teach reason, for instance, which isn't taught in, in public schools anymore or general schools, comprehensive schools, uh, and logic, uh, and they also teach them oratory as well. Oratory is often important again uh, to go in order to avoid arguments and debates, but also win your debate by using logic and reason and, and very skillful oratory. It's all to do with logic that isn't taught outside of them. You find that the, the, the speaker is even Tony Blair, again a, a guy who was was paid to inform on on, on on radical Labour Party members when he was young. You find that he was taking that too. Uh, and he had all the, the, the earmarks of oratory when he went up to make world speeches on, on uh, wars that he wanted to get, get Britain into. It was a one-man band, basically, uh, very skillful, etc., in that one department. But he was also psychopathic. That's why he was also so good at it. So these guys are all over the place. Uh, they're in all the top CEOs of corporations are, have all the same attributes of skillful oratory, but also their psychopathic personalities. They're actually selected for that purpose. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And that was probably rooted in the Jesuit thing. If you look at the the BBC itself, um, basically a Fabian subdivision or offshoot in many ways, they had a long-running TV series from the 60s called Seven and Up, where they the idea was to follow the Jesuit idea, give me a child seven and I'll give you the man. And here was the BBC, I followed these same people every seven years to produce this documentary. And the idea is it's put out there is that they're showing the life of Britain through these people every seven years. And the show, they're up into their 50s now. And it's nothing of the sort. It's really a gigantic big laboratory that the BBC are running 
according yeah. to Jesuitic uh, principles of monitoring people, seeing that, and even if you watch the if you watch the programs themselves, there's all kinds of subtle editorials. Like there was one guy at one point who had basically dropped out of the system in the in the early '80s, and he basically become kind of like a hermit artistic type person. He'd basically woken up and he was living in Scotland in a caravan and the whole thing was portrayed as what a loser he was, what a failure he was. He had all these opportunities in life and all he wants to do now is live in a caravan in Scotland and talk about philosophy and poetry and every shot was composed to make him look like a sad sack and a loser, you know, coming back from the shops with his little plastic bag of groceries. And then in the follow-up series seven years later, it shows, and the most remarkable turnaround of all was this character and they show him that he's now a lived dead um, politician he's going from door to door and so suddenly he's not a loser anymore the BBC are portraying him as you know the ideal man who's you know well he, he went off the rails for a, a while and started to think for himself but now he's firmly back in the system and, when, and when was, the more you watch the seven and seven and ups tv series and how it progresses you realize that's not so much showing people's lives as they change but they're using the show to actually coach behavioral models among british society every seven years almost like giving a little top-up of this is how you should behave as these these shows get enormous uh, ratings yeah it's, it's predictive programming too because you see the general population have been trained to to accept opinions by superiors and any authority figure is a superior, including the BBC. And the, in other words, official broadcasters, officials, the term uh, from the BBC, speak in a very authoritarian fashion. So much so, by the way, they trained the Soviets and the Chinese. If you listen to Radio China, Beijing, uh, you, you swear listening to the BBC, the way it's presented to them, uh, the public. And they found that the people will follow this as an authority, and you're given your opinions on things. They're very clever in the way that they lead you to the opinion at the end. Uh, and, of course, you, people do. They, they, they never question. I mean, why should you question something when you, when you never suspect you're being lied to? You, you never suspect it. You've been trained not to suspect it. Uh, and uh, why would they lie to you about something like this? But everything you're seeing is a carefully orchestrated psychological indoctrination with behaviorism and many other neuroscience involved in it too. Psycholinguistics, which they call neurolinguistics. It's all professional. And when you see how many people work on one show for one hour with all of the experts I've just mentioned, these different scientists, it's staggering to make sure that you will accept the opinion on this topic that they're going to leave you with. You're downloaded with them. And that's you across the world now. It's a perfect system. And again, going back to the Fabian Society with the Hinduism to break up the old religions and then merge them together into a new cause, a future, always working for a future utopia. It's been perfected, basically. To bring about a utopia, you must create as much misery as possible beforehand and then offer them the lifeline you see of this utopia. And that's, uh, that's perfect. The, the, the incorporation of all the Marxist ideology and, and the top uh, capitalist ideology merged together, that's what it's really all about. So you are a perfect soldier for working uh, uh, not so much for a, a good pay and so on, but for very basic essentials and for a good cause for the future and serving the world state. That's always been the goal of this. Yeah, I agree completely with that. This idea also of Hinduism, you can copper fasten that further into the actual writings of the Fabians. 
if you look at what you know the class the class system and the caste system it's the same thing basically same thing the idea yep. that the ones to reach the top of the caste system or the, it, within fabianism or socialism whatever they have planned a scientific revolution will ascend into the utopia of the technocratic future at the same time you had the you had hg wells referring to the the, the rest of the people who weren't fit to enter the scientific future as being congenital invalids this is exactly the same as the hindu caste system of the untouchables that's right and, and george bernard shaw again another co-founder of the fabian sea he uh he, and you've probably seen a stained glass window where you see them bashing uh, on an anvil like blacksmiths uh, the world into a new shape in other words the proper shape the whole structure of the world and everything in it is to be bashed into hammered into into shape and uh, it's quite fascinating George Bernard Shaw I mean, in his book too Man and Superman you see um, he explains that to those who could catch on to technology and understand it and work with it would come through into this new wonderful age. But those who couldn't, who belonged to the old age, uh, simply would have to be eliminated. H.G. Wells went further in his book, uh, A Modern Utopia, where he said, it's set in, it's possibly in the future, but he said that, um, how did they achieve this utopia that's there in the book, this fictional book? Uh, and he's just traveling through parts of the world uh, and everything's so, everybody's so well behaved. There's not many people around because of depopulated. And the depopulated, he says, we, we thought about just killing them off. Like, like George Bernard Shaw said, George Bernard Shaw actually came out and, and I've, I put up the link on my site, cutting3meters.com. Um, where you can actually see him and hear him in an early, early clip talking about uh, you will have to come to us when we are in power, he said, meaning the socialists, the true socialists, not the working people. Uh, and he said, and you'll have to t- tell us why we should let you live because you must serve the system. Uh, so, so these guys were way ahead of it. And H.G. Wells said, he says, but, our, our, but the way we settled on eventually was, in, in the modern utopia, he said, was to gradually sterilize the people uh, of the lower classes uh, that, that simply hadn't evolved properly and were not needed in a post-industrial system. That's where we are today. Yeah, and that's where we are today. A lot of people have to get this idea into their head because it's true that the modern world that we live in is fundamentally an expression of a neurosis among Victorian aristocrats in that they were fearful of an educated society. They were fearful of a literate society. And that's that's the world we live in. It didn't come out by accident. It's It was a formulated plan brought together by the, the, a bunch of Victorian neurotics terrified of losing their privilege and that's the world we live in and what you were saying there about the the uh, the, the well-behaved society that's that's more and more noticeable i know quite a lot of people who run businesses from chip shops to restaurants and they you know they've been employing young people for the the last you know 20 30 years and they all tell me the same thing that the kids today they're far more well-behaved than, say, they were in the 70s. Mm-hmm. They're very compliant, but they're also useless. Like, you could mm-hmm. put them in front of a sink with a tap, and you could say, okay, yeah. can you wash those dishes? And they literally would not know how to wash the dishes uh, or even have the sort of the cognitive, you know, self 
awareness to even conceptualize oh this is the water this is the brillo pad and this is the dish they have to have absolute and precise instructions well, so that's the key to that, that. Yeah. Here. The, the, key, the key to that goes back to another think tank that belongs to the same group we're talking about and it's called the, the club of rome and their book called the first global revolution they have all of that in it they said that they would always use the term democracy to fool the masses basically but in reality says democracy would never work because there are too many conflicting people, parties and groups, subgroups and so on, all fighting each other for power. And, they could, and because of that, they couldn't get their big agendas through. They're talking on behalf of the elites. Uh, and therefore, they'd have to ram things through under different guises, but still give the pretense of democracy. But um, in that, they said to eventually the system they would bring in, and this was, this was again, uh, corroborated by, again, Wells talked about it, and so did uh, Lord Bertrand Russell, another big member of all of this, these groups. And, uh, and, and Russell even went further along with the, fame, the, the, the Club of Rome, and he said that eventually the, the people will, will be unable to make decisions for themselves. They won't have to because the state will be making all their decisions for them from birth to death. That's what you're talking about right there. They've all been trained to get along with groupthink and to be politically correct. Uh, they actually have the, in, the inbuilt um, default positions, as they're talking neuroscience about it, uh, where if you mention a certain topic that's taboo, uh, they, they will blush and, and turn all colors and become awfully embarrassed, but they'll go back to default. Even if they start to agree with you, they'll go back to default position. This also ties in with FDR's wife, in the U.S., she was a great fan of Pavlov. Pavlov was given so much uh, money from the West to experiment in Russia on all this passive population that had, they couldn't rebel or, or, or say no. Uh, they were opening up people's skulls and, and experimenting with their brains where they're still living and all this kind of stuff. is incredible. And Pavlov came up with the school system of, of, of perfect indoctrination as well, using the same techniques of conditioned responses and basically what we call today default positions, setting them in uh, the children's minds. And, and uh, FDR's wife said she, on her trip back from uh, the Soviet system, she said, uh, it's so different to see the children on their way to school compared to, to the, those in America. She said in America, they're jumping up and down, they're playing uh, and pushing each other and, and having fun. But, she says, but in, in Russia, there, there, there's none of that. She says they all go along, but they're so well behaved. She thought that was wonderful. The, the, these, face, the, these unsmiling children all, all, you know, like a military fashion on their way to school. This is what she wanted to bring in. And this is all part of this big system that tied in again with Fabianism uh, and the society that the Royal Institute for International Affairs, with this other branch, by the way, called the Royal Society. They were all involved in the same, the same global uh, 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 movements towards this, this dream of theirs too. They pretty well achieved it, by the way. And uh, along with Pavlov, you had Watson in America and his behaviorism, yeah. which was even discredited in his own lifetime. But just like like so many, like Malthus and so many of these others, it doesn't matter if their their quote unquote science, like Pavlov, is is discarded. And I'm, I find it amazing that Pavlov, so much of his work is cited by the New Age movement as well as some kind of yeah. noble quest, and that's remarkable as well. But anyway, Watson. You know, again, appalling things done to children, treating people like robots, assuming that the mind of a dog or the mind of a rat was the same as that as a, as a human being. And yeah. even when in his own lifetime his work was completely discredited, but it still becomes a central tenant and structure of these people's uh, agenda. 
Oh, absolutely, because he did push all the tenets that he was promoted to push, that all people can be completely trained. Now, it's, it's not all untrue. It's a lot of it. It's awfully true, unfortunately. You can condition people if you get them early enough at school. The school system's geared to, to not, not, you know yourself, everyone knows it's been through the school system. Uh, the teachers want uh, the correct answers. In other words, you parrot back what they're telling you. Uh, they also want groupthink today. That's a big thing is groupthink in school. Uh, whereas before you had some individuality involved, uh, today it's groupthink where you must ex- all vote on uh, on, a, on something with a conclusion uh, or else you're the odd man out. It's so bad in some schools in the U.S. to actually put a flag up outside the classroom if someone has not gone along with the group. And, and so you're forced by peer pressure to go in or you're ostracized. You might even end up getting drugged along the road. But this is how bad it is. We're in, we're totally in the system that Sidney Webb and his wife and the rest of them dreamed up. We're, we're here. Yeah, it's totally a cult. It's almost like a cult compound kind of situation, which is also why these people have paid tremendous interest in things like not only political cults like the Chinese Cultural Revolution, but also these flying saucer and other channeling and new age cults. And that's why, you know, you look at Jonestown, CIA were all over it. Uh, I believe that just about all the successful cults that have a reach, if not every last one of them, the intelligence services at some level is manipulating them. If you read the books on them... Uh, massively it's it's massively and you see so much of it is tied up with this idea of the they use the cults on two level one this idea of this the salvation from another planet rather than actually you know having it on your own life here the people in the the cults are deluded into thinking that they broke away from the sheeple in society not really getting the irony that they're actually a second another kind of sheeple and thirdly the intelligence services they groom and they you know you look at some of the most horrific cults a lot of them such as the ones in in, in france and switzerland like the solar the solar temple all over the place the intelligence services can be connected to them and these are often the ones that ended in the most horrific kind of acts of violence both to themselves and others and this is another thing that people have to understand as well is that much of the, the salvation that's given to people is also another form of behavioral training that your idea that your gods are, or your goddesses are coming from the moon or in the future or you're channeling them and so on, that this is another deception. Everything in your reality, your whole entire reality is a, is a piece of pathological theater that's been created for you by powerful psychopaths in positions of power. And even people who think they're fighting or against the psychopaths have bought into these same ideas like joining cults, like uh, getting involved in political movements that are clearly one more part of it. There's one thing, Alan, I've been, I've been wanting to ask you for years because I've been listening to you for a long time. What, how do you feel about George Orwell? Was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? Was he one of us, one of them, or was he a mixture of both? He, uh, he he had been brought up, of course, as a hereditary uh, bureaucrat, really. His family were bureaucrats, and uh, he had a top position as a young man uh, in Burma and other places as well, um, looking over massive plantations. Britain, in his day, and people don't realize that Britain still ran the opium trade. Uh, it was all royal families, which which uh, and the members of only royal families that were allowed, that were actually owners of it. And uh, his father ran the, the Burma Opium Company. Uh, this didn't come out. Nobody knew about it. They thought it was done away with in Britain until a, a politician called Thompson stood up in Parliament in the early 1920s and says, uh, I just found out, but what's the British Opium Company? 
And when they opened it up, it was a crown corporation that only members of the royal family had shares in. Uh, and they were using the British taxpayer and their armies to, to police these things and make sure the plantations ran well. So Orwell took over from his father to an extent for a short period of time. Then he came back and he'd been trained to be a revolutionary in the same mode as the Cecil, Cecil Rhodes group of expanding the British Empire for the greater good, etc., etc. And he, he went off, as you know, to, to fight in the Spanish War, Civil War. And uh, he... He came back and talked in the socialist circles he'd talked to before, uh, and the people turned their backs on him when he said that he thought, because they'd all been brainwashed to believe that communism was the same as socialism and, and, and for the working man's rights. He says, nothing to do with that whatsoever. They didn't want to hear that. He also said in one of his books that he couldn't, he couldn't understand why they kept push, wanting to push uh, uh, curse words and sexual curse words all through their writings. They wanted the right to do this back then. And, and he said, no, he says, why degrade society? Then he caught on that the whole agenda they were getting paid for was to totally degrade society to, in order to destroy it and bring in a new society. So he did turn, out, uh, turn against them towards the end, and he did come out with 1984 to explain uh, what that was all about, plus Animal Farm, which is excellent when you actually read the book. Don't borrow with the cartoon stuff. Read the book. Because uh, he shows you all the cons they use with the use of terminology and changing terminology gradually, etc., and, and you don't even notice it's happened. But um, he went off to Ireland and Scot off Scotland eventually to, as a recluse. He was paranoid at the time that the group that he used to work for were going to come and kill him, including uh, their communist branches as well, because they, they ran all sides from the Royal Institute for International Affairs, by the way, and. Uh, uh, and he went out to meet the boat every other week or, or month when it came in t- to watch whoever came off it because he was absolutely certain we're going to try to kill him. And this was kind of verified to an extent because he he was a he was tuber- he had a tuberculosis, and when he ended up in hospital, uh, a, almost a closed shop type hospital. His friends had to rescue him because he was dying in the hospital because they were giving him the streptomycin without the supplementary drug that must go with it. If you don't get a drug with it, you, you can die very quickly uh, from these inter, intramuscular streptomycin injections and, and hemorrhaging and so on. So they pulled him out to save his life. Uh, so he had turned against them in the end for sure. You know. Yeah, that's, that was the conclusion I came up with as well. Just Especially just, Especially in regards to just as, as you said, his his, his 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 life of isolation on Lewis off the coast of Scotland, that was an extreme measure. And again, you know, we see his own life story is a reflection of the system when he was in Spain, when he was in Catalonia. With his, the, he, he was teaching English. One of his students was the guy who went on to kill Trotsky in Mexico. And, you know, you have, then you have, Trotsky was living at the time with the artist Frida Kahlo and her, and her boyfriend Diego Rivera. These people were then tied right back to the Rockefellers. So within a very short period of time, you can draw a perfect line between the Rockefeller family through uh, Diego Rivera, Frida Kahlo, straight through to Orwell and then to, back to Huxley. It's just too yeah. clean and too perfect. And he showed us that in that too. book. Remember, too, you remember during World War Two, that the members of the famous society, the top members, also worked for the MI5. That's verified. Uh, you, you, so here you have the guys running the communist system. Uh, they worked with OSS, which became MI, MI6 eventually. 
they had Lord Bertrand Russell in there. Uh, they had um, the guy who wrote the Thirteenth Tribe. What was, uh, was that? Was um, uh, it slipped my mind right now. But you, you, had, you had a few of them at the top that were members of, of the top Fabian societies. Uh, members all working for MI6, the early MI6 called OSS at the time, and they had top clearance for for intelligence, etc. Because they used them to fight the German system. So, the, and that ties in with what Carl uh, Quigley said, and he's a historian for the for the what's called the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations, same organization. He said he said that we we don't care who we bring in. He says communists, dictators. Uh, tyrants, socialists, whatever It says we, they, we, they all work for us And that's how it really is One system runs it all you see. And the, uh, the long term Psychopathic deviousness Of it, you have the At the same period Well right before the Fabians You had the British Israelite Society Who create, creates this basic Bible nonsense But the agenda there all, always was From before the Balfour Agreement Was to create a kind of a western plug An Ulster a plantation in the Middle East in order to so they could keep their oil their eyes on the oil and gas and and, and other things there such as phosphates and so on that they knew were going to be needed for the emerging economies in the future and it's yeah. it's we're never we're never taught that the how long term these plans are these people think in centuries where the rest of us don't even think in decades anymore. Many people well, that they can't even they Well, that's why they, they called it the Fabian Society too. The, after uh, Fabius, you know, the the general in Rome, who said that rather than hit people head on and have conflict, you simply do it a long way around, subvert it quietly and slowly, and and do it in a long term uh, motion, basically. And that's what all the, the early founding members of the Fabian Society said too. It might take them a hundred years to, to achieve this, or even longer, but eventually they, they would achieve it. But as I say, they brought in members like like Arthur Kessler was the guy who wrote the Thirteenth Tribe, Darkness at Noon, and so on. These were all novels put out. Well, at least the, the Darkness at Noon was a novel, uh, and he worked with MI5 too. But but uh, uh, Arthur Kessler wrote books to bring you around to, to again to the struggle of society, to struggle through all the terrible things that were happening, without saying, "Yeah, we caused all these terrible things to happen, so that you'll you'll come to us when we say we're going to champion you and get you out of the mess." So, so it's a perfect technique. They cause the problems and then offer you the solutions over and over again. And when you're struggling, you grab the lifeline and you end up in a, wor- a worse mess. But again, getting back to the form of mind control, they work with the Tavistock Institute. You can't, we can never miss this part because the Tavistock Institute was an early mental hospital. And they had carte blanche by the, the British government and, and royalty, the system that really ran the British government, uh, to do whatever kind of experimentation they had to on the human being as a subject. And they, they stuck early implants in their heads in the, in the late 40s and 50s and in the 60s for remote controlling, but they were hardwired by wire from the brain to, to little push-button devices, things like that. Aldous Huxley's speech in Berkeley was just became enthusiastic. It was very hard to get enthusiastic, and, but he got awfully enthusiastic when he talked about the experiments and how wonderful it was, how they could control the minds of people by literally putting implants in the, the brain, etc. And and uh, it, it ties in with the Soviet trips they took. I don't know if people realize if you realize, it's incredible if you go into, into uh, documentaries like the Soviet story. Uh, you'll, you'll hear, uh, you'll hear, as I say, uh, George Bernard Shaw talking about it in, in Soviet story. 
uh, an actual clip from him talking about you'll come to us if you want to live and, and, t- and tell us why you must, you, we, we should let you live. Uh, and then, he, then it, it goes off into, the, you'll see people in beds with the, with the skulls off, uh, all open to the air, non-sterilized the whole bit, because these folk were expendable, bed after bed, and they were probing their, 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 their brains physically, uh, no, no gloves on or anything else. But the, what the, the thing is, in another documentary I've got, which is showed in Britain, by the way, they used dog's heads. They cut them off at the neck. They kept the blood supply going artificially through it into the neck. And then they'd have the eyes of the dog opening. They'd, 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 they'd massage its nose and so on and see if it, and when it, would, it would close its eyes and open its eyes. They were doing it with human beings in the Soviet Union. And all these guys went over there, like H.G. Wells and Shaw and all these guys, and came back and said how wonderful it was in the Soviet system. Uh, uh, saw that happening, but they, they kept their mouths shut. They thought it was great. This is the this is how you've, that they find out the ghost in the machine, as Kessler said, is you and your spirit. What makes you tick in order to totally control society? And when they did, they said no one could, could ever rebel again. In fact, um, George, if you find that Lord Bertrand Russell said said. They said it'll eventually become so impossible, so impossible to rebel against our system, uh, as, as impossible as sheep rebelling about the price of mutton. He says that's what it will be at the end. That's where we are today almost. Yeah. Okay, with that, uh, we'll play a piece of music and then we'll come back uh, on a, a different topic, uh, the, the alien distraction. I had a quick question, uh, which is simple yes or no, I suppose. Um, were H.G. Wells and Orson Wells related? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. No. You say no, Thomas? No, I don't think so, no. If they were, it, was, it, goes, it went back a long time. Yeah. No, they weren't dead. They weren't a record-related, you know, they weren't like fa- cousins or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. And another one, uh, you both mentioned the intelligence organisations all working together. Um, I mean, they're, they're obviously a very important part of this because they, they can control the start and finish of wars and all the rest of it. Um, do, do you think at the moment they're kind of toying with the idea of, of really creating problems with Russia, or is that just a like taking us into a new Cold War, as it were, a fake, a fake Cold War. Well, that's a dodgy one because uh, at the moment Russia is going through an, a very quick and sudden economic uh, problem. The ruble has de- has devalued tremendously against Western currencies in the last couple of months. So whether they're actually flying these jets into Portuguese airspace and submarines into Swedish waters, it may just be a distraction by Putin for the. You know, what was going on at home? Do I believe that it's real that Putin is 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 not is you know against them? No, I don't believe that at all. Not me anyway. I think he's just he's another one of them. Well, I tend, I tend to agree yeah, with that. He, he is one of them. He is one of them. If you're in his early history and find out his real name and his real family, what they're up to. Uh, you, you get a different story for sure, and don't forget too the Soviet, the ex-Soviet system is part of the EU as well. Uh, that that is still merging in into the EU with all of its different steps. It goes through step by step into merging with the EU. So it's it's really a, a smoke and mirrors for for uh, to keep the public on edge. Uh, they always keep us on edge. Threats of this and threats of that that don't materialize. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah we're, getting, we're, getting Gold, we're getting Goldstein's deception, Eurasia, East Asia, Oceania. We're getting that. that that's yeah, what they're saying. 